0: Well, my senior year of Bible college, I was working at a, at a car wash called Simonized Car Wash right outside of Knoxville, Tennessee, in Powell, Tennessee. And I, I decided that, you know, when I went off to college, I knew that I wasn't going to college to get an occupation, but I was going for an education. So I didn't really want to have a job, but I decided I needed a little extra cash so I got the job at Simonized Car Wash, and I had it my, my senior year, my first semester, and everything was going really good. It was nice and warm at that car wash. And I came back the spring semester in the month of January, and I went back to work the first day, and I wasn't dressed appropriately, and it was, it was cold out there, and I didn't have the right gloves on. And so by the end of that day working, my hands were as red as the back of that pew right there. And I left that place saying, I don't need a job that bad. I'm not going back. (laughs) Have you ever felt that way about a job you had? (laughs) Sometimes we are either the most loyal employee of that company, or we're going to be the most disloyal employee of that company. Today, I want to talk with you about one word, loyalty. Would you say that with me? Loyalty. That's the title of my sermon today is Loyalty. I believe that, that I serve a great example of not being very loyal to that car wash, that place of employment. It, it serves a, a great, great illustration to us today that sometimes in our walk with Jesus, sometimes we are either extremely loyal to Him or very disloyal to Him. So my question right out the gate today is, is are you loyal to Jesus or are you disloyal to Him? Today, as we come to this chapter, I want to just summarize it with this statement. The greatest ability is loyalty. The greatest ability is loyalty. That is, if you could walk away with any thought today, I want you to walk away with that one thought. The greatest ability in your life and my life is being loyal to Jesus Christ. Yes, I know there was a day that, that people in America were very loyal to Jesus. I know there was a day that people in America were very loyal, not just to Jesus, but to their local church. And then people were loyal to our nation and to their families, to their marriages. And now I believe that, that there's a generation, no matter whether it's a young person, middle aged or older, there's so many disloyal individuals in our land today. And it's time that in our place of worship that we rise up and we become loyal men and women of the household of faith. By means of introduction, we come to the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. And and if you understand some about the book of Acts, you know that there, Paul went on three missionary journeys... And this is his second missionary journey. In fact, chapter 16 kicks off his second missionary journey. And Paul was so loyal to Je- In fact, Paul at one time in his life was so disloyal to Jesus Christ, he was killing Christians. And now uh, the tides have turned and he is so loyal to God that we find he is in jail for telling people about Jesus and so Paul and Silas goes with him on this missionary journey. And at some point, a few others were with them. But he makes his way to a few different cities. But, but the Bible tells us here in chapter 16 that he finds his way in verse number 12 at the city of Philippi. That city where Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians to, Where we read about how we can do all things through Christ. Where we read about how we are to rejoice in the Lord always. And then we read about how uh, the heavenly hymn, Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus also. So we read about Philippians. And this is the city in which the people lived in. And the Bible talks about in verse number 14 and 15 that there was a lady by the name of Lydia. She was a seller of purple. She was of the city of Thyatira, but she happened to to be here in this city. And she was worshiping God. And she, the Bible says, that she was baptized, her whole household. And she. the Bible says she besought them, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful unto the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And the Bible says in verse number 16, that it came to pass as they went to prayer that a certain damsel who was possessed with a spirit of... Div- uh, in other words, she was possessed by a demonic spirit. And listen, if you do not believe in Satan, if you do not believe in de- demons, you need to reread the word of God because it's in there. I know we're Baptists today, and we get a little uh, scared about demonology and about Satanism but listen, he is alive and well, and so are his agents, that is the demons in our world, and they will try to influence us to make wrong decisions. They will try to oppress us to do things that God does not want us to do. You see, the devil's been around a long time. He's been around for at least 6,000 years, you know, and then back into eternity, and, and I want you to know this, that he knows your weaknesses better than you do. And he knows that if you struggle with doubt, he's gonna plague your mind with doubt thoughts. He knows if you if you struggle with anxiety, he's gonna plague it with anxiety thoughts. If he knows that if you if you're plagued and, and you struggle with lust, he's gonna enamor you with lustful thoughts. He's gonna to try to influence you to be derailed from the will of God. But I believe this verse tells us, this chapter says that how Paul and Silas, they were being very obedient to the Lord, and they came and they. Apparently, they cast out this demonic spirit from this lady. They did a good thing. Imagine you go to the hospital and you pray over a patient who's sick. Imagine you go to an area and you you give somebody who's in need, whether it's finances or groceries, you do a good deed. And then somebody finds out about it and they take you and throw you in jail. Well, that's what happened to Paul and Silas. In verse number 19, look at verse number 19. It says, and when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul inside. That literally means they seized them and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. Verse 20 says, And brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. Imagine Imagine, here's a lady who's possessed by a demonic spirit. And they come in and they cast out the demon. And the Bible says, I believe they did a good thing, but these leaders, they said they are doing things that are contrary to our law and it's not good in our city. And so in verse 21, the Bible says, They teaching customs, which is not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. Verse 22 says, The multitude rose up together against them. So in this meeting, they kept together and they persuaded the crowd and the mob to turn against Paul and Silas. Listen, if you've ever had somebody turn on you and you're trying to tell them about Jesus, it's okay because so it happened to the apostles. In fact, the Bible talks about here how these leaders, they rent their clothes. It was a custom that they did. And the Bible says that they commanded to beat these men. Look at verse number 13. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Here's some questions I want to ask us all. Would we be loyal to Jesus if we were falsely accused because of our faith in Him? Would we be loyal to Jesus if we were persecuted because of our faith in Him? That is, to be thrown in jail. That is, to be beaten and whipped because we were trying to do the will of God. I would like to say that we would be. But I'm afraid that if push came to shove, that there would be a lot of people in America, if we were in these shoes... We'd probably be like those other disciples in the Gospel of John where they turned away and never followed Jesus again. So, today I want to ask and answer this question What does Christ require for us to be loyal to Him? What does Jesus Christ require for you and for me to be loyal to Him? Today I want to draw three thoughts from verse number 25. In fact, I believe these are three requirements that God expects for us to be loyal to Christ. Here's what I wrote down first of all. Loyalty to Christ requires daily supplication. Loyalty to Christ requires daily supplication. Look at verse 25. The Bible says, "...and at midnight..." So this was not at 6 a.m. in the morning, this was not 4.30 a.m., this is not 12 in the afternoon, this is at midnight, 12 p.m. At ni- 12 a.m. at night. And, and the Bible says that at this hour, Paul and Silas, they were sitting in jail, and it doesn't say that they turned around and started complaining to each other and be like, man, well, maybe we should not have cast out that demonic spirit. Maybe we shouldn't have went over to that lady's house who was from Thyatira who was selling all those goods and she was a Christian. Maybe we shouldn't have went over there because we wouldn't be in this myth. No, the Bible says that they got on their knees and they were chained up in jail and they prayed. Wow. Imagine, put yourself in their shoes. Would you be willing to pray to God in a spirit of worship in their shoes? Oh, I'm sure you'd be like me. Oh Lord, why'd you put me in prison now? I was doing your will, God, and now I'm here in jail. (laughs) In fact, I believe that the book of Acts up until this point gives us some great thoughts about prayer. In Acts chapter one, the Bible tells us in verses twelve through fourteen when it says that not only did they assemble together to pray, but they continued together in prayer. Remember that saying: "When the church, the church that prays together, stays together; the family that prays together, stays together." Here we read a great example of the early church in the first chapter of the book of Acts. They were praying together, and the Bible tells us that that not only were the men praying, but the Bible the Bible says that the women were praying. So men and women in book of Acts chapter 1, they were lifting up their voices to God and praying. And the Bible says that when they had prayed, they were in one accord. That means they were in full agreement of that prayer. In other words, when we're praying together and we're saying in Jesus' name, amen. Yes, we're praying in his name. But when we say amen together, we're saying, yes, we agree with that prayer. We're asking God to move and answer according to his will. In Acts chapter 1, the Bible talks about in verses 23 and 25 that that in that section, they they were down one disciple. Judas was gone and they needed another one. So they cast lots and there one was elected named Matthias. And the Bible says they prayed for guidance and direction in their decision making. Wouldn't that be great today if we prayed to God? for decision-making decisions? We have a future. All of us do, no doubt. Should not we look to the maker of the universe and say, God, help me in this area. God, give me crystal clear direction. God, give me direction in my marriage. God, give me direction in my finances. God, give me direction in my career path. In fact, mentioning career, I believe some people are more devoted to their career path than they are to the Christ that gave them that career. And today church, I'm I'm saying this, let's be loyal to Jesus. Let's be sold out soldiers who are just completely loyal. Yes, sir, Lord. Yes, your will be done in our lives. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. We read how when they began praying, God began saving. Thousands of people were saved. Maybe we're not seeing the souls come to know Christ as Savior is because we're not getting on our knees and saying, "God save souls in Roanoke." In fact, we hear about churches who, who rattle off their statistics that, whatever how many people got saved, and instantly we we're very critical. We're saying, "Well, were they truly saved? Did they just pray a prayer? One, two, three. Repeat after me." You know, you know, when somebody gets saved, you know, who gets saved? all those who called upon the name of the Lord. It's never my place or your place to say, oh, so-and-so truly did not believe at that point in time. That's God's business. Our business is to sow the seed, and God's business is to reap the harvest. So let's pray for God to save souls. In Acts chapter 3, they begin to pray specifically. And I believe that when we pray a specific prayer, God answers in a specific manner. Acts chapter 4, the Bible talks about that when they prayed the place was shaken with the Spirit of God. Very similar to here when the earthquake happened after they began to pray. In Acts chapter 8, the Bible talks about how when they prayed, um, their prayers were were, were dynamic because they were specific. In Acts chapter 9, it talks about that when they prayed, they showed their reverence to God by kneeling down. You know, sometimes in the Bible it mentions how people were walking and praying. Sometimes they were laying down. And then in this section, they were kneeling. And when we kneel down, Before the throne of God in prayer, we're just simply saying, God, your will be done in everything I'm bringing before you and in my life. In Acts chapter number 12, we read how they prayed and there was many of them gathered together praying and they prayed one for another. Ones who were in trials, ones who were going through temptations, And wouldn't that just be great today? Is if we lifted each other up when we were going through a a health crisis, when we're going through a financial crisis, when we're going through whatever kind of crisis it is in our walk with God or our walk with man, that we just lifted each other up to God in prayer. In Acts chapter 14, they recognized that there were certain instances and times when they needed to, yes, to pray, but also they needed to fast. That's a lost art. In the church today, especially our Baptist churches, let's fast and pray. Because I believe that Paul and Silas, here even in this moment, yes, they're praying, but you know Paul, he mentions fasting in his epistles at times. and, And he was a man who was a man of prayer and a man who fasted. And said, oh God, I'm so loyal to you that I want you more than the food that I eat. God, I want you more than the drink that I put in my mouth. God, I want you more than the air that I breathe. Acts 16, we read in verses 25 and 26 of this chapter how these men were praying and God did great and mighty things. So I wonder, how loyal are we to God in our prayer life? Maybe at the beginning of this year, you set off with a great goal to spend Time with God in prayer each day. And now it's almost November. Almost Thanksgiving, almost Christmas, and you know what? Almost the end of the year. How are we doing still? How's that prayer life? Would God consider us a loyal follower or a disloyal follower based on our prayer life? Would you look at the next phrase? It says in verse 25, And at midnight... Paul and Silas, they prayed. But then the Bible says, they sang praises unto God. So here's what I wrote down secondly. Not only loyalty to Christ requires daily supplication. I wrote down secondly, the, the second requirement. Loyalty requi- loyalty to Christ requires daily adoration. Loyalty to Christ requires daily adoration. I find it so humorous sometimes with what we Sit around and we talk about, we theologize, as I like to say. But I want you to notice this that when Paul and Silas, when they were in prison, they prayed. And when they began singing praise to God, they were not concerned whether it was on a screen or whether it was in a hymnal. They were not concerned what style or what genre of the worship they were lifting up to God. All they did is they lifted up their voices to God in prayer. And may I say this today, that God is not as concerned about the style of the worship and more concerned about the heart behind that worship. So hear me well today, church. Is God pleased with our worship, with our praises, or are we just going through the motions when we sing, Great is thy faithfulness, or it is well with my soul. I just wonder what they were singing that day. Could it have been, they were singing Psalm 18, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Sometimes people will write melodies to those psalms. And I wonder, I wonder, maybe they went back to Psalm 42 where it says, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you, O God. Or maybe was it, was it Psalm 103 where, where they lifted their voices and said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Or maybe Psalm 119. How God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto our path. Mm. Worshipping God is not just singing songs about Him. I believe it goes further. I believe it's a lifestyle that we live. And the lifestyle that we live, we're seeking to obey God in every area. And as a result of that, Our hearts can do nothing else but to lift up praise to God in song. And today, church, it's just a simple reminder and a question for us all. Are we living a lifestyle of praise and worship and adoration to Almighty God? Are we like Nadab and Abihu in the book of Leviticus, that book that we kind of neglect to the side, but in the 10th chapter we read about how Nadab and Abihu, they came and they brought um, a, a sacrifice to God in a manner that displeased God in such a way that they died. God is holy. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We read in the book of Revelation where we'll be exclaiming throughout all eternity. And I wonder, God expects us to be holy just like He is holy. Are we holy in our worship? How loyal are you to Jesus? Are you loyal to Him and what you give praise? It's interesting, you know, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but Brother Joel mentioned this in Sunday school. He went to Isaiah 14 and talked about Satan. And he goes to Ezekiel 28 where it talks about the king of Tyre. And yes, it was speaking about a specific king of that day in Ezekiel's life, but also there's portions in there that are true about Lucifer. And the Bible says that Lucifer was a cherub. He was a specific angel that God created. And that he was very, very beautiful. Now, if you're beautiful today, I want you to know this, that God made you that way, okay? And I know that sometimes that beauty does fade, all right? But whether you are young, old, or somewhere in between, you are a beautiful creation of God because you're made in His image. And the Bible talks about how this guy named Lucifer, this cherub, he saw that he was way more beautiful than all these other angels in heaven. And he got lifted up with pride, And instead of seeking to give God glory and God praise, he said, I will be like the Most High. I will exalt my throne. He wanted those angels to give him adoration. And every time you see somebody in this world who's who's seeking praise of men, I believe that is a spirit of Satan in their life. But when somebody is, if you come up to somebody and, and they reflect that adoration back to Almighty God, it is the spirit of the Holy Spirit living inside of them because they know that there's nothing good in us that's worthy of worship because only God is worthy. So I wonder, I wonder would you be like Paul and Silas, sitting in jail, lifting up your voice to God in prayer and in praise? And then, I believe the Bible tells us A third requirement for loyalty, remember the greatest ability is loyalty. Loyalty to Christ requires daily adoration, daily supplication or prayer. But then I wrote down thirdly, as I read the phrase, look look at the last part, it says, and the prisoners heard them. I wrote down this, loyalty to Christ requires daily proclamation. Loyalty to Christ requires daily proclamation. Here they're praying. Remember, they were just. Casting out, they were exorcists in a sense. They were casting out demonic spirits from a woman who was possessed by demons. And then here they are, they're praying, they're singing praises. And the prisoners, they all heard him and so did the jailers and those in charge. And the Bible says in verse 26 that as a result of their praise, as a result of their prayers, and then in the the sovereign hand of God, he steps in and he shakes the earth that day with an earthquake. Oh, and by the way, uh, the Bible does talk about how in the last days, there's going to be a diverse amount of earthquakes. And we're seeing them. Over and over and over again. So I believe it's a sign that when we see more and more earthquakes, more and more of the stuff that's found in Matthew 24, the Bible says it's a road sign, a road map to lead us and direct us to, hey, Jesus is coming back soon. And so it's time that we take our faith serious, we take our loyalty to Christ, we step it up a notch or two, and we say it's time to tell people about Jesus. I'm afraid that, that sometimes in our lives we're, we're more focused on trying to, to build our career, to build our brand, to build our business, and instead of building the kingdom of God, through Jesus and advancing his gospel. Man. Man. The Bible says, verse 26, Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of, out of his sleep, And seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Verse 28 says, But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Verse 29 Then he called for a light and sprang in. Notice he didn't have his uh, iPhone flashlight (laughs) or his Android flashlight. Didn't have any of that stuff. <laughs> they probably had a candle. Mm-hmm. And, and it says that they sprang in and came trembling, falling down before them. And said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He says, what do I have to do to know this Jesus that you're singing about and you're praying to? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe means to entrust. That means you put your faith and trust in what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the cross. How his death, how that, that death, that sacrifice is able to cover us of our sins. And then that Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave by rising again. And if we put our faith and trust in that, the Bible says we shall be saved. And here this man receives that message. But it wasn't enough just for him. You remember the day that when you first got saved? You were so thrilled about the good news that you begin to tell your, your everybody you knew. You were telling them about this guy named Jesus who's changed your life. And so this jailer goes and he says, and see Paul and Silas, they say, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. And says, and thy house. They said, listen, you can believe this, you can get saved, and so can your whole household get saved. And so this jailer takes him, he brings him to his house, they fix him a dinner. And by the way, if you really want to please God, you're going to fix the man of God dinner. Come on now, that's good preaching. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, anyways, uh, it says, verse number 33, it says, And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized. He followed Lord and believers' baptism. And, and the Bible says that he and all his straightway brought him to his house. The Bible says, set me before them. Rejoice, believing in God with all his house. Paul and Silas were so loyal to Jesus that that you have to understand. We might have been cussed out, sure. We might have had a door slammed in our face. We might have, you know, somebody might have made fun of us. But the last time I checked, nobody has taken a whip and whipped us or beaten us because of our faith. They were beaten, the Bible says. They were thrown in jail. And yes, I know there's believers all over the world right now who are experiencing that level of persecution. And let's pray for them. That God would use their time of persecution to advance the gospel. But here in our context, we know that that we've never really experienced that level of persecution. And so, my question is this if we were in their shoes, would we be just as loyal to Jesus as they were? When I was like four or five years old, I got bit by a dog. We were my parents and I. We were visiting a friend's house, and somehow that dog came out of that room, and and I was trying to run up that wall, and that dog grabbed a hold of my leg right here and just bit right in. And I was petrified of animals, specifically dogs. <laughs> to this day, I don't like stranger dogs, <laughs> but anyways, um, I'm not afraid of them now because my parents decided they were going to get a dog. They got a half lab, half golden retriever when I was young, because they heard that if you get a little boy, a dog, or a little girl who's f- afraid of them, it can cure them of that fear. And it worked. And what I learned from the dog, my dog's name was Tip. He had white tips. He was solid black, but had white tips on his paws and right here on his chest. So I called him Tip. And what I noticed is there was times he would go away. He would run. We had a, he, he wasn't confined by a cage or a chain. We were living in Boone's Mill, and we had all these fields and everything, and he would go away for a season, maybe for a few hours. But he'd always come back. Dogs are loyal, for lack of a better term, to their master. Because we feed them. We provide for them. God does the same for us. He feeds us. He provides for us. And because he does all these things for us, we've got to be loyal to him. Hey, guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbryanratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, Please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you, and have a great week.